1: Welcome to episode 372 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and it's just me today, because while we'll be talking all about Robert Lewandowski tomorrow, I do want to have something about the games that took place over the last 24 hours here on the podcast feed. One result, really good. One result, pretty disappointing. So, first things first, here's the audio from the five headlines I did after Barcelona completely smacked Inter-Miami in a preseason friendly. Welcome to the U.S., to FC Barcelona. While a 6-0 win over into Miami won't let us know who's going to win the Champions League, there still are a few things to talk about. For starters, though, let's begin with Robert Lewandowski, who did take this one in from the stands. While he did not play in this match, and I don't have too much to say about him here, I can say that we will be having a full podcast on the Polish striker later in the week, so make sure you keep looking out for that because tonight his teammates didn't really need him. Now, before we start with the headlines, I do want to quickly add a little disclaimer here that I don't really want to see too much bashing of the MLS after this game, because for starters, A, Inter Miami is not one of the best teams in MLS, and they are just one team in MLS in an entire league. B, Inter Miami is in the middle of their season, and even more so than FC Barcelona, they were making sure that nobody got hurt. They played last weekend, and they play this coming weekend as well. This was a friendly as friendly gets for Inter Miami. And see, while Phil Neville did say it was a major occasion, maybe the biggest game in Inter Miami's history, well, he did give minutes, that being not MLS minutes, but a debut in Inter Miami's first team for both his son and David Beckham's son. So I'm not sure in that second half, even though Phil Neville said he was very serious, that Inter Miami were being too serious about this result. But either way, regardless of how serious this friendly was, you're here, I'm here, so let's get into it. the five headlines from Barcelona's 6-0 preseason win over into Miami. So with that said, let's jump right in. Headline number one is that they played well. Yeah, of course they played well. They pummeled the team 6-0. But it is possible for Miami to have rolled over completely and for Barcelona to independently have played well together they did make a few mistakes especially in the first half where if there was another team that weren't starting a former barca that being in the u.s resident player in bryce duke who is a natural midfielder they had him out on the wing to start this match so if they had actually played real wingers that being into miami and they had a center forward with any bit of mobility barca's defense might have been under more attack in that first half but it should be said that for the full 90 minutes Barcelona outclassed their opponent, they pressured them more, they combined better, they played with a lot of intensity, and they just all-around handled their opponent. And for Inter-Miami, yeah, their second-half goals in particular, that's a big wolf there, but as I said, I think their eyes were already in dealing with MLS action again this weekend in the games that truly matter. Two is time for experiments. I think we're going to jump around a little bit here and talk more about the second half than the first where I think there was a little less experimentation. The lineup from the first half had 11 players that you could argue are likely going to play in those positions this season when the lights finally do really turn on for real. On to Rafinha, left to right makes sense to me, Pedrian Kessie, the interiors, Nico the pivot, more on him later, and Balde Garcia, Christensen, Dest, the back four in front of Ter Stegen. The only thing that maybe we learn from this is that Garcia will continue to be trusted as the left centre-back, even though he is right-footed. And that Christensen, I don't know if it says more about Garcia, actually, than Christensen, but that Christensen may be on arrival, even though he has only a few trainings under his belt, be a right center back, whether it's three at the back or it's two center backs. Because positionally, it's the second half that really gets your attention. Of course, that front three of Abde, Memphis, and Dembele, no surprises there. Even that midfield of Gabi, Busquets, and Pablo Torre, no surprises there as well. But then we go to Alba, De young Araujo, and Roberto from left to right with Iñaki Pena in net. Now, Pena in net, well, that made a ton of sense. He is the backup. Again, Neto, time for him to find a new club. Alba, of course, he's a left back. Araujo, the right center back, that's probably where he's most comfortable. Sergio so Roberto, probably not in the midfield. At least there are other players that are auditioning for spots in the midfield if Roberto is just going to naturally, in case of emergency, get one of those backup spots. But he should also be prepared to be a backup right back. A utility man, utility captain on lower wages than he had. That's what Sergio Roberto is around for. But the real headline will be with the young. I said on a podcast last week that I could see him playing as a center-back in three at the back under Xavi, especially if he does stick around. And I wouldn't feel a bit vindicated if I didn't have so many questions. Was this a rotation due to the personnel available? Maybe. Or maybe the experimenting is happening now, especially with a player who the club is hoping isn't around in a month. And as I had said before, Inter Miami had already waved the white flag, and I'm not sure there's much we can take from DeYoung's center-back performance. To round things out, Kayado came on late to play in more of a central role when things were a bit disjointed. Just like De young, I don't know what we really learned from Callao, other than the fact that I think Xavi, even though he wasn't at the game, is going to give Cayado just a few minutes, a few opportunities, maybe even this was his final friendly, to show where he could be best or where he might feature for Barcelona this year. Or more likely, if he's going to get a position at all, and based on these two friendlies with him playing just a few minutes here and being guy number 23 off the bench, I'm not sure Kayado has a spot. But again, it's still too early in this friendly tour for me to really make a declarative statement on that. You add to the fact that Abde played on the left and Ferran Torres wasn't available at all, neither was Lewandowski. It's going to get difficult for Cayado to be one of those forwards. As for Mark Casado, the B pivot, he was again deployed as a right back, which pushed Roberto farther up the field. I don't know about Kunde, but I do think Azbalicueta is on the way. And so with him as either the starting right back or him in Des. Call it 50 50, whatever you have it, with Roberto as the third right back. Casado will play with Barcelona Athletic as their pivot. And it's interesting to see him on this tour without Amico Marmol or Charivia, who went back to Barcelona Athletic with Rafa Marquez. For Casado to make this trip, I think that Xavi, yeah, he might have been impressed in a few training sessions in the preseason, but I also think that they want to endow him with the confidence necessary to be one of the main players as a pivot for Barcelona Athletic this season. Three is more questions for Oscar. Now, obviously I'm saying Oscar isn't Oscar Hernandez, the brother of Xavi Hernandez, who was unable to travel to the US just yet because of travel issues or some visa concerns, but I do leave this match with more questions and answers. And while Xavi wasn't there in person well, I didn't watch the match in person either, I'm not sure if he or I or any of us can really figure out which players had their stock increase or go down, you know, the old La Bolsa from podcast past. But if we were to do that, I'm not sure and I have a really hard time figuring out who benefited from this match and who suffered. Kessier may be the one exception because for the second straight game, he just looked better than everybody else and it made a lot of sense why he's on this field and why Barcelona went after him for a free transfer. I felt like the arguments I had made about Kamara and all that, can Barcelona replace Busquets? Well, if he had been signed as a Busquets replacement, I felt like at the time it was the wrong move. But Barcelona were looking for an interior. They were looking for a player that could press hard, that was going to fight for the ball, was going to win the ball in 50-50s, was going to get forward and put himself in dangerous goal-scoring positions and they were looking for a player that was going to have a little bit of that La Pulsa, a little bit of that one-touch passing, and make the right decisions. And so far, Kessier has done all of that. I would make the argument that midfield of Barca, of Pedri, Nico, and Kessier in the first half, that's what wore Inter Miami down and really opened this game up. Again, Inter Miami isn't that bad, but Barcelona's midfield were just so superior to their opposition. But back to the questions, those for me obviously come along the back line. Can Dest take the leap if Barcelona miss out on Asblaqueta? Can he keep Roberto on the bench and just be the starter? I hope both answers wind up being a resounding yes, but just judging on this match, where the ball was very often into Miami's third of the field, Dest didn't show me enough from this one to completely convince just yet. And as I spoke about before, even though Frankie de Jong is a renowned midfielder and a renowned world-class player, is he a more productive interior in Xavi's system than Pedri, Kessier, and Gabi. Again, just judging on this match in this preseason so far. Xavi clearly doesn't see him as a lone pivot. And while we don't have the answer to this that Xavi does already, was using De Jong at the back tonight a warm-up for an eventual move to a 3-4-3 with him? And before you start writing to me, I think De Jong is a better midfielder. He thinks he's a better midfielder. But is Xavi's midfield better with him as opposed to some of the others that we saw today? That one, I'm not so sure about. But as I said before, this isn't about dragging Franky de Young. Even if you don't get the best version of Franky de Young, he can still be a part of Barcelona's best version, especially if he's gonna play center back and it makes sense in a back three, whether or not Koundé arrives. Four is depth through growth. Now, those big signings of Rafinha, Lewandowski, even Christensen, they're gonna raise the ceiling of this team for a squad that did not have the depth to compete across all competitions last season. But if you're gonna start talking about trophies and multiple trophies at that, I think the depth from this team could truly be taken to the next level through the players that we're already familiar with as Kool Aids. And from this game, I'm particularly talking about four players that's Ansu, that's Eric Garcia, that's Nico Gonzalez, and that's Alex Balde. Much like Christensen, I'm not going to go crazy about Eric Garcia's defensive performance against a, to put it mildly, very uninterested Gonzalo Higuain. He didn't have much work to do, but he will continue to showcase what he does at a very high level. That's dribbling with the ball into space, that's breaking lines with his passing, and that's also showing a little bit of leadership at the back and keeping things organized with players who hadn't played that often together. We do kind of think of Eric Garcia as an afterthought because, yeah, when things are not working for him defensively, he's Barcelona's arguably their worst defender along that back line. But if he can take a step on the defensive side of things, Eric Garcia has just as much of a claim to a starting spot alongside Araujo as Piquet, Christensen, or, well, I'm not going to say Jules Koundé just yet, but anybody else that may try to take the center back position. And for the second straight game, Nico's the one that we really need to be talking about. If he played the way he played against Inter Miami for 45 minutes in a La Liga game, and he did it for let's say 60 minutes, I would easily call that the best match of Nico Gonzalez's career at Barca. Against Ola, I did feel myself overreacting a little bit, so I'll frame it this way. If these preseason appearances are all little tests for him to complete, he's done it with flying colors. I was really happy with his ball recoveries, his defensive body positioning was exceptional, and I thought his lateral movement was way better than against Olat. His long balls weren't coming off that often, but he did do them occasionally, and they looked better than that first game and better than last season. And almost all of his decision-making on the ball was clean and purposeful. Because the whole Busquets thing keeps me up at night the most, these are really promising signs so far. For Ansu, it goes without saying, that dude knows how to hit a ball and he knows how to score a goal. His goal rate in limited minutes was absurd last year. And as long as he's on the field, he'll score goals, and Barca will win games. And finally, listen, Alejandro Balde may just be on this U.S. tour because Jorge Mendez, his agent, asked a favor of Barcelona if they want to do other business with Jorge Mendez. He also might be on this tour to get him a loan, or I'm not sure about that buyback because he is just 18, so will Barca really sell him? They might to help out with those financial goals, but by and large, I think that Balde Won't really truly be featuring much with the Barca first team, but seeing him on this tour and seeing if they can get something out of him. You know, there are those in this fan base who are already out on him, but he's still so young. There is so much time for him and he could have a long Barcelona career, but we just may have to be patient for that. Something that, you know, Kool-Aids are not known to do. And five is six different scores. We saw some incredible goals against Inter Miami of the six. And we also saw some goals that, well, Inter Miami didn't really do too much defending in that second half. We had to wait for the first goal, it was basically Rafinha's first action cutting inside, he tried to combine with Pedri and the attempted ball landed with Aubameyang who finishes for the 1-0. Goal 2 was Rafinha's first and this was a really good finish, a one touch pass into the net at the back post. Balde helped to create it, combining with Fatih out wide, back to Balde and the youngster perfectly found Rafinha at the back post. Luckily, Inter-Miami had Kieran Gibbs marking both Aubameyang and Rafinha, but as I said before, the Brazilian's finish was just flat out good, regardless of Inter-Miami's poor defending. And goal 3 was probably the best finish of the game, as I already alluded to. Rafinha had a one-touch pass after the build-up with Ansu and Aubameyang in a move started by Nico, and while Rafinha's pass was class to find the window, Ansu's finish was, like we say, clinical, a real thing of beauty. The second F goals were, well, a bit easier for Barca. The fourth came from a corner, Memphis delivered it from the corner to a wide open Gabi at the 18. And regardless of the how, if Gabi can bag some goals this season, like we know he can based on his even younger days, yeah, that'll be pretty fun. Number five went to Memphis when he may have ended a man's career, possibly taking from him any reason for using his mortal body anymore. Alba to Memphis and a disgusting turn from Memphis, absolute filth from Memphis an insanely terrible defending, that should be said too. Both things, definitely two on goal number five. And finally, number six, yes, Dembele scoring is good news, but Inter Miami did let him dribble right through them. No one stepped up to him, and he got wherever he wanted. But the finish wasn't stopped by the keeper, so hey, we'll take it. It's 6-0. All right, so there you have it, as I've said many times before, 6-0 over Inter Miami. In a match that I have to admit was a bit odd. It felt like it was a preseason game that we might have learned a lot from, or it was a preseason friendly where we didn't learn much of anything. And I'm not really coming out of this one with anything declarative for you. Either way, what is declarative is that Robert Lewandowski is now an FC Barcelona player, and we're going to have a podcast with a Bayern Munich expert on that later in the week. And until then, as always, for Barca. All right, and now for the other result that wasn't so great. Spain's 2-1 defeat to England in the Euros, a disappointing result considering they outplayed their opponent and conceded in the 84th and then 96th minutes. Here's the good news or the silver linings for all the Spain fans via the number of Barca Femini players on the team. For starters, it would have been totally fair for this Spain team, who were thoroughly bested by Germany in the group stage, to crumble without their leader and best player Alexi Butejas, who we all know was lost to an ACL tear on the eve of the tournament. Instead, they look like the better side for much of the quarterfinal and showcasing the kind of football that fans want to see. For England, hopefully, right back Lucy Bronze impressed, which I think she did, because she's moving to Barcelona to become the starting right back there too. As for Spain, much like the great days of Spanish football, 10 of the 11 Spanish starters came from the two biggest clubs in Spain, particularly after Madrid's huge investments over the last 24 months or so. The right back Ona, who plays for Manchester United, was the only non Barca or Real Madrid starter. Mariona, Aitana Patri, Mapi León, Irene Paredes and Sandro Pañoles all started for Spain. With Claudia Peña left on the bench for this one. Aitana had so many almost and close calls and she was influential in the build up to Esther González of Real Madrid's goal in the 54th minute. That goal was the first goal England had conceded at the tournament in only the 23rd shot they faced all tournament. Behind her, Patri kept Fran Kirby at bay all game until Kirby exited. She covered a ton of ground that being Patry and helped with the creativity at times, as she does with Barca too. Mariona also had her moments in what I thought may have been her best game of the tournament. This certainly wasn't the best tournament for Panos and Paredes, and Mappy Leon not stepping quicker to Stanway's game winner was frustrating to see. Hopefully that trio can shake off both the Champions League final and these defensive areas to solidify Barca down the middle. For Pina, her time was brief, but she looked much better for the Femini as well and didn't get much service against Germany. The highlights obviously came in the opener against Finland for Spain, when Paredes, Aitana, and Mariona, via a penalty, all got on the score sheet. For better or worse, it is a bit worrying as well to see the Real Madrid players look so lively. I just want to warn Kules that the gap between the two could narrow even more this season, though Barca's international still make them a the superior team. I take Caroline Graham Hansen over any of Spain's Madrid attackers in this tournament any day of the week. So yeah, after a full year and a half of flying absolutely to the moon, it's been a tough two months for the players on Barca Femini. But due to their mental fortitude and what we've seen from them in the past, there's a good chance these setbacks galvanize them to more success this season. And as we saw against Into Miami, not every team is going to be, we'll say, as easy on paper and a preseason friendly against the Barca men. But with the addition of Robert Lewandowski, as I've said a few times, we are going to talk all about in the what is the third show this week. I know you can tell that the preseason buzz is really starting to catch fire because, yeah, I have the two shows about Rafinha and Lewandowski this week, plus these two match reviews via the podcast feed, if that's where you're listening here. If you're here with me still, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, Facebook, YouTube. I don't need to tell you any of that. I just want to say thank you, as always, as we do rev up. For another season here this is going to be what is our fifth season the barcelona podcast entering a new year because we did start in off season going into the 17-18 season so yeah that means year number five over here at the barcelona podcast i'm so excited to bring you all this new and exciting content when i'm hoping that this is the best version of fc barcelona that i've got to cover via the podcast so again thanks so much for listening until next time i'll talk to you soon in force of barca